Thank you. You may be seated. I'm not going to dismiss the children to Children's Church, but if you have a child that needs to be in the nursery, I see Jeanette standing over there, and obviously we would love for our children to have access to the nursery. So I do want to just begin the same way. First of all, Josh, thank you for sharing last Sunday. It truly was a blessing. Uh, last week, there was a concern that perhaps I had been exposed to COVID, uh, had to be tested, and got the results back before Sunday, but I had already asked Josh to speak and he did a great job. One of the things I learned was that if I point at my watch at the beginning and say, this doesn't mean anything, I can go as long as I want. At least that's what <laughs> Josh was able to do last week. And by the way, uh, there are some preachers when you hear them preach, if they go for an hour, you're thinking, oh man, that was long. Actually, I did not feel that way last week, and I really appreciated what Josh had to share. Uh, I will say that my sermon title this week is, That Was Disappointing. I just want to point out, I'm hoping that is not the way you start the conversation today after I'm done preaching. So uh, we have some extra things that we're going to do as a part of our service today. We have the privilege of participating in baptism as we have an individual in this service who will be baptized, and then later in our second service as well. So we've got some extra things going on, but it is a privilege to have each of you with us today. Uh, I will say that uh, as we look at our character today in the story, uh, we're going to look at an individual who was disappointed. Uh, it was someone who you'd look at his life and you'd say, well, that's a good person and he's done a lot, but he walks away disappointed. It's a very rare occasion. Um, I will just kind of relate this before I get into my message here. I was just thinking about this this morning, uh, about this particular individual, and we'll tell the story in a minute. We'll read it together and all of that. Uh, but as I was uh, considering this particular individual, I was reminded of individuals who are perhaps seeking ordination. I had the privilege of serving on the District Board of Ministerial Development here in South Carolina. As a part of that role, we interview different people who are wanting to become pastors and they're having to go through an educational process. They're having to get so many years of experience and we're making sure that they have all the credits that they need so that they can be ordained. And often what ends up happening is individuals have had many of their classes and then they reach a point where basically they say, well, shouldn't my experience count enough. Shouldn't what I've done already, I'll give you an example. We've got a few individuals who have had preaching opportunities and they've preached quite a bit. And honestly, they're pretty good at what they're doing. And sometimes they'll reach a point where they will say, well, you know what, shouldn't I get credit for a preaching class already? And what happens is they've done an awful lot of good. And sometimes what they want is they they almost look and they say, well, you know, I've done enough good. Maybe I don't have to do any more. But sometimes the answer is you still have to do a little bit more. And we're going to look today, this individual in our passage is one who still had to do something extra. Have any of you ever been disappointed by a particular interaction? I know that I have. I talked to a guy on the phone not that long ago, and he had an incredibly deep voice. By the time we got off the phone, I pictured this guy being six foot eight and muscle bound and just almost like Tim, except six foot eight and muscle bound. <laughs> then I met him. Certainly not what I was expecting. 
And other times I'll see somebody's name and I'll try to imagine what they will look like just based on their name. You'd be amazed at how much an individual's name, uh, how much it really dictates who they are, and often it doesn't surprise you at all. I met a girl this past week, and she was from New Jersey, and she got in my vehicle. I was doing some Uber driving, and she got in my vehicle, and I said, you're from New Jersey, aren't you? She said, how would you know that I'm from New Jersey? I said, well, first of all, your name gives you away, but you actually look like you're from New Jersey, too. She said, yeah, I'm from Central Jersey. <laughs> Sometimes that is what happens, but there are times where you don't get what you are expecting. At times, the result is we get something better than what we were expecting, or we get almost a sense of disappointment. You know, I've often heard people tell me that I need to put my faith in other, I need to not put my faith in other people. I've been reminded that even the best people will eventually disappoint you. They won't live up to the standard of expectation that you have for them. They tell me that the only one that you can truly put your faith in, the only one who will never disappoint you is Jesus. But is that really true? Generally speaking, I would agree with that statement, but Mark chapter 10 tells us of a man who came looking for Jesus. He finds him. But when he walks away, he still walks away with a sense of disappointment. In fact, it is this disappointment that causes this man to stand out. You see, constantly we see Jesus interacting with other people. And they always seem to be rejoicing when they leave. He healed the sick. He gave hope to the hopeless. He restored those who had been defeated. In fact, many people likely even came to hear and simply see Jesus because they wanted to see if he could really do what people said that he could do. There was a sense of excitement that naturally came with it. And I would imagine that there really weren't many people who could say that Jesus left them disappointed. But this man did. I want us to look at the man's story today, and then I want us to apply it to our own encounters with Jesus. Our story is found in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 22, and I'm intentionally going to read today from the ESV because I really like the way it is worded. Look at it with me. Again, this is Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 22. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The first thing that I want you to see today is that this man eagerly sought the Lord. The passage tells us that Jesus was leaving, and as he was leaving, this man runs to Jesus and kneels 
before him. At times we see the religious elite approach Jesus merely for the sake of trapping him. They'll ask him questions, looking for him to basically incriminate himself. But of course, Jesus is always aware of their schemes. At other times, we see Jesus with what we would call chance encounters, like the woman at the well. Although Jesus knew that encounter would take place that day, that woman certainly had no idea that she would see Jesus. She did not seek him out. But this man ran to Jesus. And it's important to note that he's not running in the midst of a crisis. It's not that uh, perhaps he has some type of crisis of faith. It's not that uh, he has someone in his family, maybe a child who has leprosy or someone is about to die. It's not that there's some horrible disease. There's nothing wrong with running to Jesus in the midst of those crisis moments. But I want you to notice that this man simply runs to Jesus because he wants whatever Jesus has to offer. Did you know that God longs for our interactions, our attention all the time? That means that in the midst of crisis, he longs for us to come to him. That's what he wants. He enjoys that. But that also means that when money's good, which would fit this guy in our story, we're feeling great. He, again, still longs for our interaction. Let me take this as an opportunity to encourage you to seek the Lord. There are various scriptures that come to my mind in regard to this image. One comes from Psalm chapter 37, verses 39 and 40. It says, the spacious free life is from God. It is also protected and safe. God strengthened, we're delivered from evil when we run to him. He saves us. It is good for us to run to him. When we run to him, he saves us. Of course, another would be the story of the prodigal son, which I'm sure most of you are at least somewhat familiar with. After squandering the blessing and inheritance of his father, the son finds himself utterly defeated, completely broke with not a single friend in sight. At this point, he likely questions whether his father would ever be able to accept him back as a son. But he also knows that his father would at least be able to take care of him if he came back home to be a servant. And so he returns home. But as he approaches, his father, who has been longing for his son's return, sees him off at a great distance. He immediately recognizes him, and he takes off running. I picture the chariots of fire moment where they both are running toward one another and the music is playing in the background behind them and suddenly they embrace and the father not only welcomes him in again, but he has a great feast to celebrate the son who had come home. Know that regardless of how bad your decisions have been, it is always the right thing to run to the father. I don't know the difficulty that you faced. I don't know the bad choices that have been present. I don't know the types of sin or how long you've been in that sin, nor does it really matter when it comes down to it. We must always know that we can come to the Father and he will receive us. Well, back to the original passage, the fact that this man knelt before Jesus reveals much 
about the spirit within this man. The passage notes that he is a very wealthy man. As such, it might seem natural for him to almost look down upon others, thinking that he may be better than them. In fact, maybe me having the financial resources I have indicates that I am blessed, that I am better than the people that are there. Maybe God loves me more than he does them. It's not really the way it works, but maybe that is the thought. But it does not seem to be the case with this particular man. He readily kneels before Jesus, revealing a heart that is humble and teachable. Jesus had to address this with his disciples. You see, the culture hasn't changed much from 2,000 years ago. There has always been a mentality within our world that it's all about me. It's all about me being recognized, me getting the credit, me getting the blessings that are owed to me. I want to get what I deserve. Actually, if you get what you deserve, it's probably not as good as you think that it's going to be. And along with it, there develops a sense of arrogance and pride. Remember the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee? As recorded in Luke chapter 18, right before today's passage, as a matter of fact, in verses 9 to 13, we read, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. There was no arrogance. There was a sense of brokenness, a recognition that, man, I am imperfect. I don't even deserve to stand in front of the Lord, yet, Lord, have mercy on me. One thought he was better than the other, but he was mistaken. It wasn't just the Pharisees who had that problem. Occasionally, Jesus would have to address this with his disciples, too. In fact, listen to Matthew 20, verse 25 to 28. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Even though Jesus had explained that to them, it's not about you being the best. It's not about you being first. It's not about you being better than your brothers and sisters. Don't forget that a little bit later at the Last Supper, the disciples would argue about which one of them was the greatest among them. It's as if it went in one ear and out the other. But this man runs to Jesus and he falls at his feet. Let me suggest to you today that this is something that is desperately needed within the church today. There are many who will seek the Lord, but we foolishly act like we are on common ground when we find him. Yes, he welcomes us into his presence, but understand that our good standing before God is only because of his amazing grace. 
It's not because you deserve to be in his presence. It's not because you're better than other people and therefore you have common ground with him. The truth is none of us deserves to be in his presence. But by his grace, he welcomes us into his presence. I think of Isaiah's vision of the Lord as recorded in Isaiah chapter 6. As he saw the beauty and the majesty of God, as he recognized the holiness of God, he cried out, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. As a prophet of God, he could stand among the greatest of men and never fear as to whether or not he deserved to be there. But as he stood before God, he realized that he didn't deserve to be there. There's a song that's been out for many years. It's by a group entitled Mercy Me. The song is entitled, I Can Only Imagine. Listen to the words of the chorus for a moment. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. Tell you the truth, I want to be able to stand in his presence, but there's a part of me that doesn't even feel worthy to be able to do that. Will I stand in your presence or to my knees will I fall? Know that it is a great privilege for us to be able to come before the throne of God. He is greater, stronger, wiser, and more holy than anything we could ever imagine. But this isn't just about what it will look like for the believer when we stand before the judgment seat of God. Let me tell you where this meets us today. Often we seek the Lord because we want his help or his wisdom. Yet there is, there is the little, I don't know, there's a part of us, I'm not sure we actually want God's will. We don't want God's wisdom because what if he calls us to do something we don't want to do i remember years ago when i was traveling with the drama team uh doing christian uh using scripture and different tools one of the skits that we did had an individual who had been out for a late night walk and as he was out for this late night walk he couldn't see where he was going and he accidentally slipped off of the edge of a cliff and as he was falling he grabbed a hold of some roots and there he is, he's hanging and he's crying out for someone to respond. And finally he says, please, Lord, help me. And then he hears a voice from up above. And of course, he's excited and he hears someone and he says, Who, who's up there? And he says, this is the Lord. And of course, he said, well, I need you to help me. And of course, he says, okay, that's great. He said, but I, I need you to trust me. He said, okay, well, I'll do whatever you need me to do. The Lord says, okay, first thing I need you to do is I need you to let go of the, the roots. And he pauses and he looks and he, he thinks for just a moment and he says, is there anybody else up there that I could talk to? And while we laugh at that, the reality is that often God calls us to obedience and he calls us to do certain things that maybe we don't want to do. And our first thought is, God, I, I probably misunderstood you. That's probably not really what you were wanting me to do. There's almost this idea that, well, that really doesn't apply to me, and that's not what I need. 
God, I got a better plan in mind. What happens so often is we're not operating on the idea thy will be done. But we're operating on the idea that, Lord, this is my will. I need you to bless it. I need you to make sure that I can do things my way. Well, back to our story today. The man is asking Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He knows that if anybody will know the answer to this question, it must be Jesus. And he likely was very encouraged by the immediate response of Jesus. Jesus informs them that he needs to keep the Ten Commandments. By the way, I've heard people in the church often suggest that the New Testament is all about grace and that obedience to the commandments is not explicitly required. But remember that Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. The same laws that were expected of God's people in the Old Testament are still expected in the New Testament. And in Matthew 22, 36 to 40, Jesus is asked, which is the greatest commandment? And each of you knows what he responds with. He doesn't list one of the 10 commandments, but rather he says, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So keeping the law still mattered. And this guy probably feels pretty good about what Jesus is saying. He says, I've kept all those laws since I was a kid. He's what I would define as a good man. He checks all the boxes, but the truth is that there will be good people who will spend eternity in hell. There will be individuals who have kept the law, but they do not truly have a right relationship with Jesus Christ. In this man's case, it is clear that although he is quote-unquote good, which is interesting because Jesus earlier in our passage actually says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God the Father. Even though he was good, talking about this man, he was not fully surrendered to Jesus Christ. He apparently was very wealthy. And while he was honest and faithful to his wife, while he was not stealing or committing murder, while he is remembering the Sabbath and not making any graven images, he was also unwilling to deny himself. And I get it. He had been blessed with great resources. I guess life can be pretty enjoyable when you have lots of money. But what if it were all gone? Here's an interesting idea that I've often wondered regarding this man. I wonder if Jesus was simply giving him a temperature check. And what I mean by that is I wonder if Jesus really wanted him to give his wealth away at all. You know, you say you're good, but let's find out how good you really are. Perhaps had the man been willing to part with his wealth, that Jesus would have told him, it's okay, you can keep it. Or perhaps Jesus would have granted him even more. But of course, we'll never know because the passage says that the man went away disappointed instead. What he does in his action is he declares that there is one thing that is more important than eternal life. I don't want to give up what I have. I got really good stuff. Yeah, you know what? I've done all this other good stuff. And yeah, I've been a good person. He goes away disappointed because he did not want to give up what he had in the short term. Please note that Jesus does not disappoint. 
He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So how do we reconcile the disappointment that this man had, or maybe the disappointment that perhaps we've had when we've prayed for something and Jesus didn't answer the way we wanted? My mind goes back to the prayer of Jesus as he prayed just before his crucifixion. He prayed to the Father. He prayed that he would let this cup pass from me. Yet nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. It it is this last phrase that is so important for us to understand. Often our disappointment arises because we are not fully surrendered to his will. Instead, we simply expect him to bless our will. May that never be the case for those who call themselves Christians. You see, the reality is God knows much more than you or I could ever imagine. He knows what we need. He knows what's going on in our lives. Do you trust his will? What if trusting his will means giving up something that you really enjoy? I'm sure this man enjoyed his financial resources. Do you think God could have provided if he didn't have those resources anymore? Absolutely. I believe God could provide for you whatever he calls you to give up, if you're willing to follow his lead. If you would bow your heads with me, Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that even as this man was disappointed, even as this man came to you and he was unwilling, I thank you today that we can know that you will be there to be faithful, to provide for us, even if sometimes we're not ready for it. For this man had been good, but his heart was not right with you. And I pray today that, man, I know the people here, most everyone here I would look at and say, man, these are really good people. But our prayer today is not that we would be good. I pray for each one today that we would be right with you. Lord, I pray that there would be nothing that we would love more than you, not our financial resources, not our homes, not even the people that are around us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to truly find our satisfaction and hope in you. Lord, we recognize today that there are many things that tug at our hearts, many things that we seem to want. but There is only one true thing that we need, and it is you. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to find our satisfaction and peace in you and you alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we are not done with the service. Y'all are thinking he's making up for extra time from last week. That is not the case. Actually, what we're going to do is we have the privilege of celebrating baptism today. Uh, And at this time, if Karma, if you want to go get ready uh, for the baptism Uh, We are going to uh, prepare for baptism. I do want to give you some instruction. This is to the rest of the church today. I want to give you some instruction before the baptism. Um, First of all, I'm going to step out in just a moment, and I'm going to go get changed as well. Um, But I am asking you as the church to participate. Uh, We have many examples in the New Testament of individuals who are baptized. Even Jesus himself is baptized at the hands of John the Baptist. And he does so almost as a model for what those who would follow him ought to do. 
Uh, we see actually on the, the road, you have uh, an Ethiopian eunuch who is traveling with uh, Philip. And as they're traveling, they come to a body of water, some form of water. And as they travel, this man has simply made a decision to follow Jesus. Uh, they've been reading a scripture together, starting in Isaiah, and Philip basically walks him through it and explains the, basically the story of Jesus from that point in the scripture on. And they get to this body of water, and this man says, what is there to keep me from being baptized right here? There was nothing. So they get down out of their chariot and they walk over and literally Philip baptizes him there. And in un, it wasn't a formal service. This was just a moment of celebration. I will tell you this, that there was great celebration that, take place, that took place that day. My guess is on the one hand, Philip was excited because he had the privilege of participating in this act. It was almost as if he was God's instrument in that moment. And I will tell you that as a pastor, man, it is one of the most exciting things in the world to be able to baptize other people. Because what we're doing is we're celebrating the internal work of Christ in an individual's life. There is a, a moment of almost overwhelming grace that is, is being displayed. Uh, the act of baptism is an outward sign, so it's a testimony of an inward work of grace. The moment an individual has surrendered their life to Christ, their sins are forgiven. They are washed away. And what happens is in baptism, we kind of outwardly symbolize what happened on the inside. Um, I will say that when I gave my heart to Christ, I did not hear any angels rejoice. However, the scriptures are very clear that there is great rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents of his or her sins. And what that means is that when I surrendered my life to Christ, when I confessed my sins, when I turned from my sin, there was great rejoicing in heaven. I didn't hear those angels, but I know that it happened. What I'm going to ask you to do today is that as we participate in baptism, as karma is baptized up here, I am going to invite you to give her a glimpse of what that must have been like in heaven. The moment she surrendered her life, the moment she repented of her sin, the angels rejoice will give her an idea of what that was like. I've heard some of you celebrate before. You've gotten all worked up over various sports or a concert or some other activity that has taken place. And you get pretty excited. Some of y'all are what I would call fanatics, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm going to invite you to be a fanatic today. I want you to celebrate like this is the greatest thing that has ever happened, because to tell you the truth, it is for karma. This is the greatest decision that she has ever made, and she will ever make. She has chosen to follow Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. And today, we ought to rejoice and give her an idea of what it must have been like in heaven when that sinner chose to repent of her sins and he chose to give her grace. This is an opportunity in some ways that is an act of initiation. Often, as individuals are new to their faith, it's almost a, a rite of passage where many of us will be reminded that we too made the same decision many years before. So while you also rejoice, I want to challenge you for a moment. Allow this to also be a time where you might be reminded of your own previous choices. 
Some of you stood in front of a group of people and you devoted yourself to Christ and you declared through baptism that from this moment forward, you will live as one who is a child of God. I want to challenge you today to think back on that decision. How faithful have you been to the decision that you made? If you look at it and you say, well, I don't know that I've been very faithful to that. Maybe today is the day that you need to renew that covenant between you and God. He has been faithful. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't disappoint. It's what I've been talking about. Maybe you haven't. Today would be a great day to renew that covenant between he and yourself. I challenge you today to not only, not only in this moment pray for karma, but I invite you to pray for the entire body of Christ. We know that Satan would love to destroy his church. Satan is constantly after Christ's church. We need to pray for one another. We need to lift each other up. Make sure that you are faithful to pray for the people who are sitting beside you. We are to be one. And one of the greatest ways we can do that is through prayer. I'm going to turn it over to the worship team so I can go get changed. But that being said, allow this to continue as we worship. And we'll be back out there for in just a moment for the baptism. All the money that the world could hold Mountains made of solid gold Riches that could buy my dreams You are better than all these things The prettiest face to turn their eyes Beauty that could hypnotize the open doors the looks may bring You are better than all these things Your love is better than life You are the well that won't run dry I have tasted and I have seen You are better than all these shake the moon most important one in every room status matched by only kings you are better than all these things your love is better than Shines the sun 
cheered by all who think of me. You are better than all these things. You are better than all these things. This is heated, not as warm as I was hoping for. It is a privilege to be able to celebrate uh, any individual who's given their heart to Christ at any age. I will tell you that in our first service, obviously, we're going to have karma baptized here in just a moment. Uh, in the second service, we have one of our young adults who will be baptized, and we celebrate the fact that God is reaching people of all ages. It is a privilege for us to be a part of that journey. A part of that journey is the responsibility of the pastor, but it's also the entire body of Christ. As Karma is baptized today, she is not in this journey alone. She walks alongside you and you with her. And it's the same spirit of God that dwells here in this service that will walk with her from this moment forward. It is so important that we as the body of Christ remember that we are in this together. We do celebrate today the work that God has done. And Carmen, we're going to invite you to come in here if you would. Karma is one of the young ladies from our children's ministry. And she has uh, been a part of our ministry now for several years. And we celebrate that. She actually asked about being baptized very early into the COVID um, shutdown and all of the craziness that came with it. So we kind of put it off a little bit simply because we wanted to make sure that we were ready to do it and we could do it safely. And today it is a privilege to be able to celebrate with Karma the saving work that God has done in her life. Karma, first of all, have you asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life? And do you plan to live for him for the rest of your life? Okay, is there anything else that you would like? You need to think about it or anything? <laughs> okay. Um, I do expect individuals to say yes to the first two questions. Uh, they don't have to share extra. It is a privilege for us to be able to celebrate this. I've asked Amy to participate with us. She is going to pray specifically for karma, and then I will actually do the act of baptism. Uh, but Amy, I'm going to ask if you, and if you want to say anything else, you can, but would you also pray over karma? Absolutely. My privilege. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the saving grace that karma has experienced in her salvation, that she gave her life to you, and 
that she is willing to walk every day in your, in your grace and your love. I pray that you will put your hand on her, that she will walk with you all the days of her life, and that she will speak your word and your love boldly to those around her, to her family, to her friends, and that she will speak your word every day of her life. And I pray that um, you will bless her life um, beyond her wildest dreams and that you will walk with her always, protect her, shield her, and give her uh, your voice. In your precious name, Jesus, amen. Karma, we now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> It is truly a blessing to be a part of this service today, to be able to worship with you. I simply send you out with peace and grace and invite you, uh, if you would, come back next week. We might not baptize anybody. We might. Who knows how that'll work out, but uh, I do send you out with the blessing of God. If you want to wait until I get out there, you can, and I'll be out there to shake hands, but it'll take a few minutes. Thank you for being with us this morning, and go in peace.